We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Today we're going to get into the image of God. Very important subject to understand. We need to get a good idea of what the Bible teaches about the image of God because it's a central reality of the story of God and the story of man and the story of redemption in Christ to understand, to really drill down deep into the image of God as it pertains to Adam, when God created Adam, how the image of God was broken how the image of God is restored in Jesus Christ perfectly, and how the image of God is bartered by fallen humanity to the point where the image of the beast displaces the image of God. And what does that mean? What what does that prophecy about the image of the beast, that in the end times, people will worship, the fallen will worship the image of the beast, they will take the mark of the beast, and they will enter a state that is unredeemable. The Bible is very clear that those who are marked with the mark of the beast and those who worship the image of the beast, they are without hope. There is no hope for them. Um, it is a sad and tragic story, the story of the fallen how they are seduced and led away from their creator and how they enter into a state that is unredeemable. So we're going to get into that, but more importantly, we're going to get into the call of the saint to be the living expression of the image of God in Christ and how the call to be the true image bearers in this world translates into being an overcomer, and how that translates into living victoriously in this age and then reigning with Christ in the age to come. There is a dynamic correlation between the image of God and ruling creation. That's what we're going to get into today. We'll be popping into a number of different passages. Um, and so I'm uh, going to start off in, in Gen Genesis and then pop over to, to Revelation, kind of go <laughs> from the beginning 
uh, start at the beginning and uh, then delve into the end and potentially pop into a couple of different uh, spots as well. So I'm here to encourage you because, look, here we are, right? We are living in the end times. We are living in the days before the return of Jesus Christ. We are here watching and we're praying. We're declaring the gospel. And we need to understand what the Bible has to say about the times that we're living in. We need to understand the story that God tells so that we can participate in his plan because you and I are living expressions of his kingdom. Jesus Christ is on the throne. God has solved sin. He has solved death. He solved sin in the crushing of his son. He answered the demands of justice by making his son sin for us. Not that Jesus ever sinned. He never sinned. He lived perfectly. He was the perfect lamb of God, and that qualified him on the basis of his worth. He is worthy, the only one worthy to die in our place. There was no one else who could die in my place. There was no one else qualified to hang on the cross for you. We could wait another zillion years and no being, no matter how intelligent or noble, would ever be qualified to die on the cross for you and I. Jesus is the only one worthy. And his worth that made him worthy to stand in our place, to die on the cross in our place, is the very same reality that makes him worthy to reign on the throne forever and ever. The one who is worthy enough to take our place on the cross is the one worthy to reign forever. And that is why God has exalted Jesus and enthroned him and given him a name above every name because he alone is worthy. What makes him worthy? What makes him worthy to die in our place? What makes him worthy to reign upon the throne and extend his kingdom through you and I, through our lives, through our words, through our preaching, through our prayers? If Jesus isn't extending himself through the Holy Spirit, through our lives, and we're just playing a religious game, then our lives mean nothing. If Jesus isn't currently working through you, I don't care what you are doing. I don't care how noble it may seem. I am telling you that in the sight of God, it is filthy rags. Because unless the Lord build the house, 
they who are building it are laboring in vain. So we can run around and do the religious do goodism game all we want. We can run around and pretend like we're doing good works for this and that. That's that's what the Pharisees did. Pharisees loved running around pretending to be religious. They loved it and they loved showing other people how religious and how wonderful they were. Do you know what they weren't doing? They were not extending the kingdom of God. Jesus was not working through them. Do you know what else they did while they were out playing their religious games? They murdered the Son of God, actually. They murdered the Son of God. They played the role that God's sovereign plan had them play. It was the religious leaders playing religious games And this is not an anti-Semitic statement I'm not making, because if you really think about it, it was the Romans as well, the Gentiles, right? The European Romans who drove the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus. So it's not just the Jews or the religious leaders of the Jews who killed a Jewish man, the Messiah, Jesus, and his followers, all of the apostles, also Jewish, right? I'm, I'm stressing that not anti-Semitic thing here, which why would I even have to do that? I don't know. Because of the day and age we live in, the stupid things people think. The religious leaders of the, of the, of the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even the priests, in the temple, playing religious games, separated from God, actually murdering the Son of God. So my point is this. Unless Jesus is extending his kingdom through us, the worthy one, the one who is worthy to take our place, on the cross and die for our sins, those nails that those Roman soldiers drove through the hands and feet of Jesus, those nails were meant for us. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in our place. We should be the ones hanging on that cross. We, our sins are worthy of that death. Jesus is worthy to reign forever. Our sins are worthy of death. And it is the worthy one who has taken our place and the worthy one who has ascended to heaven and has been given a name above every name. And he is the one worthy now to extend his kingdom rule forever. And here we are, you and I, we get to participate in Jesus's kingdom purposes in this life right now. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask you to open your word to us. Show us wonderful things from your word. We just pray, Father, that you would lead us by your spirit and anoint us. Open our eyes and our ears and stir us up to love and to abound in faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, we look to you. Encourage us. So, yeah, um, 
So the story of humanity begins with Adam, right? Open up to Genesis, first page, Genesis 1. It tells of Adam, and you open up to, let me go get here, Genesis. There's there's like a preface and some some other things in my Bible I got to sort through before I get to Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1. Chapter 20, uh, verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God is very specific. Like, Adam is made in the image of and likeness of God. Adam is not an animal. He's not a bird. He's not a fish. He's not a beast. He's not a creepy, crawly thing. Now, I know, like, this world is trying to tell you that, like, you're just, you're, like, that, that, that's not true. That, uh, humanity is basically just, you know, a sophisticated ape. Like, I understand that. But that is fundamentally untrue. And so if you believe you are an animal, then you do not believe the Bible. Because God did not make Adam an animal. God made Adam. Adam something else. God made Adam in his likeness, in his image. Now, what makes Adam different? We talked about this a little bit in the last episode. Adam is autonomous. He can choose good or he can choose evil. The animals do not have that choice. The animals are basically biological robots. God did not make Adam a biological robot. Now, people are going to try to convince you otherwise. And the reason why they're going to try to convince you that you are just a biological robot, no better than a dog, is because they want to justify their sin. They want to say, well, my sin is instinctual. So, like, how can <laughs> how can you blame a dog for humping my leg, right? Like, I walk into your... <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of crass, right? But it's funny. Uh, I, I walk, into, <laughs> walk into your house. You've got a new puppy. New puppy hasn't been neutered yet. Your puppy starts humping my leg. It happens. It's weird, but it happens. Now... I mean, okay, it might be like, like, come on, man, like, get your dog off my leg. Like, I, like, I get that part, but like, nobody's blaming the dog, right? Like, of course, the dog's humping your leg. Why, you know, do we, would we expect anything from an animal who is instinctually driven to hump things, right? No. Well, your the dog doesn't greet you and think like, well. 
what's a good thing to do and what's an evil thing to do? And I'm going to go ahead and sort through my choices and I'm going to choose the good over the evil or the evil over the good. The dog doesn't think that. The dog thinks like, there's a leg, I want to hump it and I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Adam is not a dog. <laughs> because if I come into your house and you start humping my leg, we got a problem. That's very different. That's very different. If you start humping my leg, I'm going to call the police. And we're, I'm going to probably, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to sort that one out. You're probably going to need some therapy and some, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, but it's going to be a very different scenario if you start humping my leg versus the dog, okay? I, I, I'm, I'm making my point. It's ridiculous. But it makes my point, right? Like, Adam is not a dog. And somebody who's trying to convince you that you are just a dog is excusing your sin as something that you can't control. It's just instinctual. You have to do it. You can't choose good over evil. No, no, no. You just, you just do whatever you're instinctually programmed to do, and, and that's, then that's that. You're basically an animal. That is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that Adam is the king of Eden. God makes Adam the king of Eden. And his authority derives from the fact that he is made in the image of God. He is made in the likeness of the creator None of the other beasts are, none of the fish, none of the creeping things, none of the birds, none of, nothing else is created in the image and likeness of God. Only Adam. And so only Adam is called to have dominion over the earth. The rest of the animals, they don't have dominion. I know we call the, we call the lion the uh, king of the jungle, but it's not because the lion will go set up a kingdom where like, like in a, in a Disney movie, we're like, oh, okay, there's the king, the lion. And then, you know, underneath him, uh, there's like, you know, the, whatever, the jackals, the wildebeest that they like in these, you know, uh, royal authority structures of different animals at different levels where the, the, the king lion tells the bear what to do and the bear goes and tells the leopard what to do and the leopard carries out the command of the king because there's this royal... We don't call a lion a king because it has some sort of royal authority structure. <laughs> we call the, 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 the lion the king because he can eat everybody else. It's as simple as that. Why is the, why is the lion... A king, not because he rules over subjects. No, because he has the option of eating everything else in the kingdom. That that's it. That so the 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 authority, the the quote unquote royal authority of the lion does not come because he rules. It's because he's bigger, stronger, and can eat everybody else. Not the image of God. That's not what. That's not what we're talking about. Adam could eat the other animals if he wanted to, or he could take care of the animals, raise the animals. He could look over and the, look look over the well-being of the animals. 
he could actually build a kingdom where he is ruling over different spheres of different animals and they are obeying him like he's the king. Of course, this is before sin and death enters and this is before the image of God is broken. So when Adam could walk up to a lion, he didn't have to worry about the lion eating him. He didn't have to worry about a rebellion of animals coming against him to eat him because he ruled over them. He was the king. So if he wanted to go up to a lion and scratch him behind the ears and tell him to roll over and scratch his belly, he could absolutely do that without fear of the animal which is much stronger than him, and if the animal chose to um, eat Adam, totally could. Adam didn't have to worry about that because the animals were under his authority. Adam's authority was directly tied to the fact that he was made in the image of God. Why did God make Adam in his image? Why did he make Adam to rule over the earth, right? Very specifically, verse 2. 26 says, Adam, man, was made in the image and likeness of God, and that he had dominion over all, quote, all of the earth. God gave Adam dominion over all of the earth, including everything that was in the earth, all the living things were under Adam's command, under his authority. God wanted to rule together with Adam. He wanted to walk in the garden with Adam. He wanted to have fellowship. He was inviting Adam into the eternal love and fellowship of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God rules, God reigns over heaven. He is the king of heaven. He rules over heaven. He creates the earth so that he can have fellowship with Adam, who's made, basically made out of the earth and is made in the image of God to rule the earth so that they can enjoy unbroken, loving fellowship and Adam can rule over earth the same in kind of the same dynamic that God rules over heaven. God has made Adam and Eve to rule. And the their rule is dynamically connected to being made in the image and likeness of God. So that's the scenario. It's beautiful. It's paradise. And from, you know, from there, I mean, if Adam rules over the earth, who knows where it goes from there? You, you know, you could, you, your mind could go into all sorts of different possibilities of an eternity with God if sin never enters the equation. Of course, we know that God created two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life that would give eternal life to Adam, so Adam would never die. And the other tree was the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Somehow, 
God had created Adam in his image, but at the same time had limited Adam and Eve's knowledge, had kept the knowledge of sin and evil clear of their minds, right? It's like somehow this kind of for initially forbidden knowledge that God said, I don't want you to have this. You're not going to be able, I don't know, you can't handle it. I, you know, it's, it's interesting just theologically, philosophically, why did God, you know, create Adam without the knowledge of good and evil? And then when he did fall to the seduction of the serpent and his eyes were open and the image of God was bartered, right? Adam and Eve are told, do not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the serpent, now the serpent is supposed to be ruled over by Adam and Eve. God has given them total authority. They are the kings of Eden. The king and queen of Eden is Adam and Eve. What they say goes. So they get into a conversation with a serpent that if they, in their royal authority, decided to banish and expel Adam and Eve could have expelled that serpent because that serpent was under their authority. But instead of expelling and banishing the serpent, they do something else. They listen to the serpent. And what does the serpent tell them? The serpent tells them that if they eat of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, that they will become like God and their eyes will be opened. That a level of knowledge and intelligence would be opened to them, and that is the pathway to become like God. Interesting seduction. And if you... Eve had thought about it, or Adam had thought about it for two seconds, they would have realized, wait, God wants us to be like him. He made us in his image, in his likeness, we were created. So we're already like God. And they would have realized that God has given us dominion over the earth and is walking in fellowship with us. He is bringing us into a journey of oneness together with him where we can enjoy fellowship and companionship with him forever. God wanted Adam and Eve to be like him. But the serpent offers a different route to get there. God says, I want you to be like me. I created you in my image. I've created you to rule over all of the earth in fellowship with me. The serpent comes along and says, do you really want to be like God? Do you really want to have his infinite knowledge and his intelligence? If you really want to be like God, then you need to eat the fruit that he told you you cannot eat. 
and the idea of unfettered, unlimited intelligence, superhuman cognition, the seduction of thinking in ways that they couldn't think, having access to intelligence that they couldn't even imagine, was enough to break fellowship with their creator who, whose image they were made in and to follow after a creature of earth that they were supposed to be ruling over. They had been given authority as kings and as the king and queen of Eden to rule over the beasts, the birds, the fish, all of the earth. They had been given dominion over it all. And instead of expelling the serpent, instead of ruling against him and aligning with God, they go another route. They, they choose to eat the fruit of knowledge. They follow the serpent. And when they barter their authority over the serpent, because remember, the serpent isn't supposed to be ruling and leading them. They are supposed to be ruling and leading it. They are the kings. They are the ones. Adam is the one with the authority over the serpent. And yet, Adam chooses with his authority to follow, to be ruled by the one he is supposed to be ruling. He eats the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and something fundamentally changes in creation, a fundamental breaking of fellowship with the creator. When Adam ceded his authority, his God-given authority to rule over the serpent, and instead made the serpent his king, and followed the serpent's seduction for the promise of intelligence and transcendence at the end of the day and took of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, something fundamentally changed. Sin entered creation and death entered creation. Adam was not created in sin, and he was not created to die. Those two realities, like a cruel master, a task master that would rule over his life, sin driving him, a whip and death entangling him, drawing him down with chains. The king had become an exile. 
The one who was made to rule was being ruled. Because Adam had bartered the image of God, the authority to rule was broken as well. And Adam's transformation from that moment on was not the picture of evolution where you have a continually increasing in knowledge and ability and, and, and a, a overcoming um, survival of the fittest. Man is the fittest to survive and he's continue, continuing to grow in his capacities and evolutionary um, abilities are opening up in the future and potentially a, a door will open and he will become a god, right? That's the evolutionary myth. The theory of evolution is a myth that humanity came from primordial goo. And when you marry that idea with the transhuman idea that we will use our technology to become gods... We will merge with artificial intelligence and go along on a ride with a, the tech, a te, runaway technological train that takes us into the future and, and into the clouds and into transcendence. We have this evolutionary myth that we have come from primordial goo. We are on the way to become technological gods. That is not the story the Bible tells the Bible tells of Adam being made in the image of God and his image being the, uh, the founding principle of his authority to rule over creation, right? God made Adam in his image, in his likeness, and it was God's image and likeness that equipped Adam to rule over creation, once that image was bartered, once Adam laid down his authority and followed the serpent, his grounds of authority were lost. He no longer was ruling over the earth. The earth was now ruling over him. The whip of sin driving him into darkness the chains of death dragging him down into Sheol below. And over the millennia, thousands of years of human history, humanity is not getting smarter, stronger, and better. Humanity is being more and more twisted into the image of the serpent the image of the beast. So that's, that's Genesis 1, 26, that tells of the origins of Adam. And Genesis 3 tells of the fall and how Adam bartered the image of God to follow after the serpent. How Adam abdicated his throne as the king of Eden and was exiled 
under the power of sin and death. No longer to rule, but to be ruled because he had made a serpent his king. And what's the nature of the serpent? The nature of the serpent is the nature of the jungle. The serpent is all about himself. What's the difference between the image of God and the image of the serpent? It comes back to the dog humping the leg. Why is the dog humping the leg? Because the dog is only interested in himself. Nobody blames the dog for being only interested in itself. Biological robots are driven by instinct, natural instinct, and they will put their own benefit above everything and everyone else. And that is what the serpent will do. And that is what the serpent will try to talk you into doing. Because the serpent wants you to join in his rebellion. He is building a confederacy against God. Adam was made in the image of God to rule over God. But Adam bartered that image and joined a confederacy. What is the bond of that confederacy? What is it that weaves this confederacy together? What is it that the, that the serpent and the, the, the demons and the fallen, what do they all have in common? What is the common denominator? The common denominator is the law of the jungle. It's all about me. It's about my profit. It's about my reputation. It's about my life. If your life is in the way of my life, you better get out of the way. That's how the serpent rolls, and that's how those who follow after his image to be ruled over by the serpent, that's how they roll. It's all about me. Have you noticed that in our culture lately? Have you noticed that is actually the crux of the Apostle Paul's warning about those who would rise up in the last days? That they would be lovers of themselves. Remember the Apostle Paul, I spoke on this on a few episodes back, warns of perilous times in the last days that men would be lovers of themselves. They would be driven by the law of the jungle. Jesus calls it lawlessness. This law, this law of the jungle where it's all about me, and if you get in my way, I will destroy you, is lawlessness. Now, how do these guys, how do these, these rebels all get it to work out? Well, because if you can 
create a matrix where everyone gets what they want. You know, if I get what I want and you get what you want, then, hey, we call it even. Now, if you get what I what you want and I don't get what I want, then we got a problem. Right? And that's what this is about. Following after the serpent. Bartering the image of God for an image of a beast that Adam was designed to rule over. So Adam loses his place. The Bible tells of a devolving of the human, the, of the human race. It tells of empires that would rule from King Nebuchadnezzar to the return of Jesus. And these empires aren't getting better. They're getting worse. They're getting uglier. They're getting nastier. They're getting more lawless. And you have warnings from Jesus, warnings from the apostles, that in the days when Jesus would return, lawlessness would increase. That those living in a lawless culture would be lovers of themselves. That they would live by the law of the jungle, the law of the beasts. They would live by the same law of the dog humping your leg. Like, don't care about you. I'm, I'm here for me. And I know it might be a little awkward for you that I'm here for me, but get used to it because... I'm here for me. Hopefully you can find a way that you can be here for you and we can work it out. But if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to destroy you. The law of the jungle, right? It's, it's, it's the survival of the fittest, right? I eat you or you eat me. I destroy you or you destroy me. Or we all figure it out together by all getting what we want, right? That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the scenario everybody's fighting for so they don't all just murder each other in the streets. The image of God is broken in humanity. It is broken. It is devolving. It's not getting better. It's getting uglier. People see what's happening in, on social media, how people speak to, to each other, the deep divisions in our society and culture, the, the, the vitriol, the hatred, the murderous wickedness we spew upon each other. And we wonder, what's happening? I can tell you what's not happening. I can tell you evolution is not happening. That is definitely like when you look at why is everything getting worse? Why does everybody hate each other more now than ever before? I'll tell you one reason why it's not happening. If we were evolving, if we were getting better, smarter, you know, becoming better entities somehow, evolving to a higher state, this isn't the direction it would be going. This is the result of de-evolution. We're devolving, folks. Don't care what the scientists tell you. <laughs> Don't care. We are not on the path of evolution. No. We are on the path that the Bible describes. We are on the path to, we are devolving into lawlessness. Why? Because we bartered the image of God for the image of an animal, the image of the serpent, 
an image of a beast. We traded. We said, oh God, we, you made us in, our, in your image so that we could choose good. And then we would learn to be more like you and rule over the, the earth by choosing good. And we said, no, nah, we don't want that. We want a different image. We want the image of the animal. We want to be driven by our instincts. We want it to be about me. Because to live in the image of God means something. Because there was an example of the image of God where the image of God came into our physical world. We don't have to guess what God is like. God showed us what he's like. And he showed us his image perfectly, fully, and completely in the Bible, in the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the express image of God. Everything that Adam bartered away, everything that we traded to go after a snake, everything we gave up so that we could be like the animals, so that we could be like the beasts, God gives as a gift born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. His perfect, beautiful, glorious, worthy son. The image of God come to earth. We lost it. We broke it. We destroyed it. God comes after us and gives his son as a gift from heaven to earth, born of a virgin in a little barn in Bethlehem. That image is the worthy one who, through his divine worth, lives a sinless, perfect life and is the only one in all of history or ever could be come into the created realm the highest angels of heaven are not worthy to come in and die for you and I. There's only one worthy. And that is God's son, Jesus Christ, the worthy one, bringing his kingdom rule, bringing the image of God, the worthy one, dying in our place, rising on the third day, ascending to heaven, and enthroned, and the only one worthy to be enthroned, the only one worthy to die in our place, he's the same one who's the only one worthy to reign forever. Jesus Christ, the express image of God. And from his position in heaven, he gives the Holy Spirit that is available to you and I right now. His kingdom extension into the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when a man or woman believes in the name of Jesus and confesses him to be the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. And the image of Jesus Christ is born from above 
into that individual. The image that Adam bartered away, that was destroyed, broken, bartered for the image of a beast, is restored perfectly, fully, and completely in Jesus by the Holy Spirit inside of the believer. And it is that image that is born into you and I when we believe in Jesus that puts us back into a position to rule and reign with him. For our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And we are called to reign with him over all the universe forever. Paul says, he talks about us facing insurmountable odds where we are pressed on every side, we're persecuted, we're abandoned, but we're never forsaken. He calls us more than conquerors. We are rulers in Christ. Now, does that mean our circumstances will be the way we want them to be? A lot of times, no, not so much, because guess who's sovereign over our circumstances? God is sovereign over our circumstances, and he's using our circumstances to make us more like his son, which is a higher priority to God than our circumstances being the way we want them to be. Like, God's priority is that I'm like Jesus, not that my life looks the way I want it to look. So if I am surrendering to God, I should expect that my circumstances are going to be designed to make me more like Jesus. Which could mean, (laughs) only God knows what that means. Only God knows what that means. But if we are surrendered to him and his image is born in us by the Holy Spirit, we are more than conquerors. In fact, that is what the Bible calls us. Living in the end times, even in this culture of lawlessness, we are overcomers. It says that we overcome the dragon by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony that we do not love our lives even unto death. We are overcomers. Jesus, the image of God, born in me and you, when we believe in him and are sanctified in his image, we become more like him day after day as we seek him, as we worship him, as we pray, as we we go deep in his word. We walk with him day after day. We become like him in one degree of glory after another, we're ascending into the likeness of his image. And it is that likeness, that alignment with his kingdom, that he extends his kingdom rule through our lives, through our words, through our work, through our prayer, through our preaching and teaching, through the ministries God's given us, he extends his kingdom and alignment with his kingdom comes through us into our lives. And we are ruling and reigning with him because he is the express image of God that our lives are aligning with more and more through the power of the Holy Spirit in the reality of sanctification. That is how we rule. So we can live 
in a world that has fallen, we can live in the midst of people who have no interest in the image of God, that are living in the image of the beast, living in the image of animals, believing that it's all about me, that it's, you know, living by the law of the jungle, living in the image of the serpent, being prepared for the image of the beast. And we can be overcomers at the same time that all of that is happening and increasing. Lawlessness is abounding. We can, as we seek after Jesus, be counted overcomers. Jesus says, you overcome. You seek me, my kingdom first. I'm going to add everything else to you. Because what's the key difference between the image of God and the image of the serpent, the image of the beast, the image of the animal? The key, a, I shouldn't say the key, a key difference is that God gives himself freely without benefit to himself for the eternal good of others. That's what God does. God did not have to send his son to die in our place. He did not have to do that. He did it because that's who he is. That's the glory of the image of God. The life, the giving of Jesus Christ as a gift into the world, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is evidence of the glory of the image of God. It says, it tells us exactly who he is. He gives of himself freely out of love for the good and benefit of others without any benefit, giving without benefit to himself. Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who are only worried about themselves. He says, don't be like the Pharisees who are only worried about themselves. Even the Pharisees, they act the religious game. They play the religious game. They're doing it for themselves. They're acting in the image of the serpent. They're acting in the image of an animal. Their only concern is themselves. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, be perfect as your father is perfect. What is it that makes God so perfect? One of the key realities of his perfection is how he gives himself in love with no benefit to himself. He says he gives rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you so that you can be like your father. Because guess what? God's constantly doing good to those who hate him and he's, he's doing it be out of love and there's no benefit to it. Like this, this guy is going to curse me every single day for the rest of his life until he dies and is sentenced to hell. But every day of his life, I was good to him without any benefit to myself. Jesus says, be like that. That's the image of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we align ourselves with the kingdom of God, we live in that image. And we rule the dominion that was given to Adam to rule over all the earth is restored in the image of God, in the image of Christ as he rules over the universe. And we are joined and unified with him. 
we can overcome in this culture because I can tell you where this culture is heading. The pursuit of the image of the serpent is not going to slow down. It's not going to decelerate. We're not going to all of a sudden kick into evolution mode. Sorry. The train is de-evolution. The bartering of the image of God for the image of the serpent will descend to the point where fallen humanity will barter the image of God once and for all with the coming of the false prophet, the Antichrist, with the coming of the serpent in the form of a beast at the end of the age. What began in Eden will culminate in our, to Armageddon. And before humanity devolves to the point of going to war with God on the battlefield of Armageddon, the fallen will be marked with the mark of the beast. That's where this thing is going. It will forever mark them. They believe that they will cross the threshold into becoming like gods, just like Adam and Eve believed that if they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they would become like gods. So the fallen are going to believe that if they merge with artificial intelligence, they will become like God. They believe that they're heading into a quote-unquote post-human future. And God says, yes, you are heading into a post-human future. You absolutely are. It's just not coming in the way that you believe it's coming. You're not evolving into the next level. This is not the next step of human evolution into the realm of the gods. You've got it wrong. You're crossing a threshold when you will no longer be human. You will barter away the image of God forever through the worshiping of the beast and taking its mark and becoming unredeemable. You will become one with the beast, not a God, an animal not even human. You will become the thing that you were supposed to be ruling over. All because you traded the image of God for the image of the serpent, an animal, a beast. That's all about himself. So as we see this culture descend into this madness, this tragic ending of Adam's fallen race, God gives us hope. He gives us a plan. He pours out his Holy Spirit. He reveals his truth to us, and he calls us overcomers. He calls us more than conquerors. Because we believe in Jesus. Because his Holy Spirit brings 
the express image of God into our lives. And through the process of sanctification, our lives align more and more day by day to the image of God in Christ. And we rule. His kingdom comes into our lives. Our circumstances are but the stage that make us more like him. And he proves himself faithful time and time again, even unto the end. So here we are, watching, praying, proclaiming. Until the end. Hey guys, I appreciate you tuning in. I hope this I hope this uh, podcast is a blessing to you. Um, do me a favor. Can you, if you're if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple, can you subscribe to it? Can you leave a review? It really helps me to know you're out there, you're listening, that this is helping you, um, that I'm on the right track. Um, share it in any way that you can. Like, wow, like I you know what, if you just think it's the worst thing you've ever, then tell me that too. What I don't want to do is preach to no one. So I'm, 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 I'm pressing in on this, you know, towards this direction. But if I'm not hearing from you, then I have to, sh- I have to switch my tactics, switch how I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this. I just need to know that you're listening. So I know uh, I've got a few, few folks who tell me they're listening that are uh, retweeting what I'm what I'm doing here. I really appreciate you saints out there. I appreciate you listening. I most of all I appreciate you seeking after Jesus, making him the Lord of your life, following to the end that we get to have this fellowship together in him, in his love, in his name, made possible by his blood. So be encouraged. Saints, we'll see you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.